You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. Well, as I said, my name is Carl. I am thankful to be here with you and the privilege of being able to talk about running and running the race. And my race in China started when I was single and I was 30-something. Then God ironically got me married at 37 and put me in a one-child policy country to have seven kids. <laughs> so you never know what God's going to do. He's not always a, an obeyer of human laws, is he? So I just want to thank you for the opportunity to be here and to represent the, the elders and Jay. And uh, my hope is that you will leave here with a very clear picture of what it is that God wants you to do. So join me in prayer, and we'll get started. Father, we do come, and we ask that your spirit would lead us, that he would teach us. I pray for each and every one of us, Father, that we would uh, just be available to you to do whatever it is that you want. So I pray that each one of us would have a very clear picture of what it is that our next step is in the race. So we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a picture of my family. I forgot to show that to you. But I want to begin with a story, and the story takes place in Beijing, China. We have what's called a cooperative, and every Thursday, all the missionary kids and all a bunch of Chinese kids would all get together, and they would take some kind of a class or a number of classes at different age levels. But the culmination of the spring ended in an Olympics. We were in Beijing, so it was a, doing this and reflecting the 2008 Olympics, and my daughter and her best friend got to run. And the race started with each one getting to do their own, uh, their own uh, what do you call that, where they, they, her best friend ran a different time and then she ran, and they came together in the final. And so what you are seeing is they, the whistle went off, and both girls just went full out. They both won their preliminary heats, and as they approached the line, I thought, oh, my daughter's absolutely got this. Proud dad, right? And I said, oh, man, this is nice. And then all of a sudden, she looked back. And when she looked back, she was like, where's my friend Megan? She should be right next to me. And when she looked back, Megan did not stop. And as you can see, I I put a little yellow line there for you. Megan crossed the finish line right before my daughter, Hannah. Now, just to drive this home, I want you to look at Megan's face (laughs) and my daughter's face. My daughter was like, oh, I get to go across the finish line with my best friend, Megan. That was her goal. Now, Megan, if you look at her face, it's like, I'm going to win this thing. And she did. And her shirt, if you look at her shirt, she's got, you know, kick and block. I mean, she was ready for the day. My daughter's got a little butterfly shirt on. Oh, is this going to be a fun, float along, do whatever. So what I want to talk to us today, I'm not slamming my daughter, by the way, is to run to win. To run to win. And Megan had that. She understood that her whole purpose was to win that race. And so before we actually look at what it means to run to win, I want to do some background stuff. Now, I also want you to watch during the time that we're together. Watch the little yellow guy. He's going to tell you a story also, okay? He's in the lead right there. But before we get started, let me give you three pieces of background that will help you to understand. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 23 to 27. 
And the first thing that we need to realize is that this passage falls in the context of human liberty or human freedom. And Paul made a decision to use all his freedoms to advance the gospel, to make sure as many people as possible would have a hearing of the gospel. So he limited freedoms in some areas, and he capitalized on freedoms that he had in other areas to make sure that everybody could hear the gospel in a way that would be appropriate for who they were. So that's the first thing. Then the second thing is that Paul uses a track metaphor, and he does this for a very specific reason, because in Corinthians, or in Corinth, they had uh, one of two games that the Greeks, the Greeks would put on. We all know about the Olympics, but the other one was the Isthmian Games, and they took place in Corinth. Now, these games were from, the, if you were a child, you would know all about these games, because the athletes who were to come would come from all over Greece. They would spend, the, they'd have to come having proved that they had spent 10 months in training to get ready to come to these races. They'd have to arrive a day early for the race, or I'm sorry, a, day, a month early for the race, and then they would have to perform and to a certain standard, and they would have to then live there during that month. And if you go to Acts 18, you see that Paul's a tent maker. The reason why he was a tent maker probably is he was making tents for these athletes. And so Paul happened to be there during one of these events. So he's drawing off of something that everybody in Corinth would have known from very young, and that we love the Isthmian Games. We love the athletes coming. We love the atmosphere. And so he wants to capitalize on that. And then finally, the third thing is, when we think about the Olympics, we think, man, there's, you get the gold, you get the silver, you get the bronze, right? Well, they only had one thing. Either you won or you went home as a loser. Okay, so they, you could only win. And so the person who won, though, it was a huge deal. That person was immortalized. They became almost like a god. And so if they came home and they had won, they were, they were also given a wreath. The wreath lasted, it was a pine wreath. It lasted for about a week. And you'll see that that becomes significant here in a bit. But they would go home and they could, everybody in the town would know who they were. They were immortalized and they would be seen as a god versus going home in shame. So if you would, join with me now. And we're going to begin to read through this passage. And I do all things for the sake of the gospel, that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. And everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way, not without aim, I box in such a way, not as beating the air, but I buffet my body and make it a slave, lest possibly I myself should be disqualified. So that's the passage that we're going to be working our way through. And in this passage, Paul is very clear. He wants to exhort the Corinthians, use these freedoms you have, use everything you have for one purpose, and that's to win the race, to win people to Christ to make sure that everybody has an opportunity to hear the gospel. And that's what Paul means by to win the race. That is not speaking of salvation. He's not saying, well, if you just run really hard, you'll be able to gain salvation. That would be through works, and that is not the gospel. So the question I want to answer is this. 
How do we run in such a way to win the prize, to win people to Christ? Okay, so we're going to look at how do we do this. Okay, there's three ways that I think this passage will show us. The first is that we need to be single-minded. The second is that we need to be self-disciplined with an eternal perspective. And the third is that we need to run a disciplined life um, so that our life will reflect the message, a disciplined life to live a godly thing. Now, if you look in your notes, there's a mistake here, and that's my fault. It says spirit, it should say self-control, not spirit-controlled. So if you, those of you who are into details, you can make that little change. All right, so let's look at the first idea, and that's the idea of being single-minded. It says, and I do all things for the sake of the gospel. Okay, so what Paul is saying is I do all things. Everything that I do is focused just on one thing. So when I wake up in the morning, my mind's on the gospel, on Jesus, and who can I help share that with? When he goes throughout the day, he's thinking, Everything I'm going to do today has some purpose. It's tied to somebody hearing the the message of Christ. Okay? And so he says, I do all things, everything, for the sake of what? The gospel. Okay, that's a pretty high standard, right? So I was trying to think, do I know anybody that I know personally that does that? And I do know quite a few people, but the first person that really came to mind is Dr. Bill Bright. And one of the things that I really uh, am challenged by him is that he said if he ever spent five minutes with any individual, that he believed that was a divine appointment from God for him to share Christ with that person. Five minutes, right? You're sitting in the doctor's office, the dentist's office, and you're just waiting. You know, there's a bunch of people there, right? What are you doing? Look at the magazine, right? Five minutes go by, ten minutes go by. Five minutes, he thought it was a divine appointment. Because he understood what Paul was saying here, that I do all things for the sake of the gospel. And then he goes on, he says, and do you not know that those who run in a race all run? Clearly, when the person, when everybody gets to the starting line, they have one intention, right? And what is that to do? When the gun goes off, they're going to run. And everybody thinks they're going to win. But nobody, when the gun goes off, sits there and goes, whoa, they're fast. Right? Everybody runs. Everybody's a part of this. And so we have to think that we are all running in the race. We all have a different race because we're different people with different gifts that God has given us. But we are all in the race and we're all running. And then he goes on, he says, but only one receives the prize. And so that, as we said, that in this race, there's only one who's going to win. And the prize here is that people hear the gospel. Okay, and so we want to run in such a way that everything about our life relates to that. Does that make sense? And so if if you're in the workplace or if you're a mom at Stay Home Mom, whatever you're doing is tied to the gospel. We'll try to make those connections before we're done. But that is the, the mindset that we're to have. And then he finally says, run in such a way to win. None of us know how long we have, and so run to win. Win as many people as we can to Christ. Okay, then if you look at Galatians 5, 7, if you look, notice our runner, all of a sudden he's running in the wrong direction. Galatians 5, 7 says this, you were running so well. And then it goes on and says, who hindered you from obeying the truth? 
So he was running, running, running. And the, the idea of hindered there means that you've been cut off. The person cut in front of you and you had to, you went off in the wrong direction. And so this person now is running in the wrong direction. And I can think in our own ministry in China, it's a guy, we'll call him Steve. He was the head of all the ministries to campuses within China. And he was running the race well. And one day, I mean, he was at a very top national level. Well, it was building. His parents began to put a lot of pressure on him. Said, we don't like what you're doing. We don't think you should be doing it. We're going to call the police and have them put a stop to this. So the police got involved, and they started putting a lot of pressure. And before you knew it, Steve was running off course, and he left the ministry. And so we have to be aware that there are things that want to uh, sidetrack us. So I want to share an illustration, if I can, to try to bring this point home. And it has to do with this rope. Now, you can think of this rope as a timeline that represents eternity. And so the orange is where our life begins, and the orange actually is our entire life. And that we live here, and all of us, whether we know Christ or not, are going to have an eternity. Okay? That we, our life is going to go on forever. Either we're going to be with God, with him for eternity, or we will be separated from him for eternity. But it all boils down to the orange. And so some of us in here, we live in the orange for the orange. Okay? And we know Christ. And so what that would look like is you'd say, well, gosh, I'm going to work really hard in my job. I'm going to save a lot of money. And then I'm going to retire. And then I'm going to start living. Right? You're living in the orange for the orange. Now, when I was going off to China, I sent out these little communication cards. And one was you can pray, you can give. And I sent one to my cousin who was a non-believer. And guess what? He wrote back and he put a little check. I'm going to pray for you. I thought, awesome. My cousin's going to pray for me? He doesn't even know Christ. And then I read his little note and he said this. I'm going to pray that God gives you sense not to go. <laughs> See, he was living in the orange for the orange. But I, was a, I had done dentistry for a number of years. I was trained as a dentist. But I was thinking, man, I want to maximize my life for Christ. So I was living in the orange for what? For eternity. So who was the fool? He was because he was living the orange for the orange. And so my encouragement to all of us is we need to live today with eternity in mind. That's what Paul is talking about. We need to be single-minded. The next is we need to demonstrate self-control with an EP, an eternal perspective. And everyone who competes in the game exercises self-control in all things. Now, my daughter, who you saw, Loss, is now 14 and is competing at Sandy. And they just actually finished their season, the first time she ever did track, officially. And uh, her coach was very clear. You need to demonstrate self-discipline in three areas. You need to get enough sleep, you need to have the right diet, and you need to work really hard in practice. And then I would add a fourth, and you need to really listen to what your coach has to say. Because your coach is going to understand you, understand how you run, understand the nature of the race, and he's going to then tell you what to do. And if you fully commit to that, then you will do the best that you can possibly do. So it says, everyone who competes again must demonstrate self-control in all things. And so my daughter then had to limit her activities. 
right? Because she has going to run. So, oh, hey, we're going to have a, we're going to do something and stay up late this night. Oh, we're going to have a sleepover. The girls are. And so she had to say, you know, I can't. I got a race next week and I got to be ready to go. And so she was willing then to limit the areas of freedom that she had. Then if you think of the athletes, and I, I tried to calculate all this out, our Olympic athletes, when they win a gold medal, it's about 500 bucks. They actually make about two cents an hour for all the training that they do to get that, that one medal. Two cents an hour, okay? Because it's just a perishable wreath. The, the pine wreath that these people were running for would last a week, and it was gone. But what does Paul say? We run for uh, an imperishable wreath, okay? And so, we, again, we live in the orange for eternity. And it says, therefore, I run in such a way not without aim, When my daughter runs, she knows the exact race she's supposed to run. She knows exactly the lane she's supposed to run. She knows where her coach is going to be. She knows the split time that she needs to have. She knows where the finish line is. And so everything is focused on winning that race with a clear aim. It goes on to say, I box in such a way that I'm not beating the air. And the idea there is this, again, was in the Isthmian Games, is the boxers would fight until either... You got knocked out, or you just finally said, I've had enough. I can't take any more. Okay? But the idea is that we run in such a way that we don't stop. And then if you look at 2 Corinthians 10.5, it goes on and it says this. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. We are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And when my daughter runs, or when these athletes ran, they had to make sure that they had whatever their coach had talked to them about in their training, that that was foremost in their mind. They had one voice they had to listen to on that track. It's not their mom and dad yelling, oh, go, Hannah. But it's their coach saying, here's your split time. You need to really pick it up, or you need to do this. You need to drop the hammer right now. That's the only voice she needs to, they needed to hear. And so I want to try to illustrate this if I can also. And I'm going to do this with a chair. And the chair represents the control center of our lives. And ideally, as Christians, who's in control? We all know the right answer, right? Who? God. So God is on the control center of our life, right? And then... You hear a sermon and they say, oh, yeah, we should be out sharing the gospel. So I'm going to say right now, every one of you in here, this next week, we've got it right here, share the gospel with somebody, either in your workplace, in your neighborhood, or take steps to do that. All right? Very quiet. It's like this is how it works, though. Let me, this is how I, my understanding of how this all works. I tell my, my daughter, Hannah, I need you to clean that room up. That thing just looks like a pigsty. And so she says, ah, wait a minute. So this is, she goes, wait, I'm in control here. God's not in control at this point. So you know what? I'm going to call my friends and we're going to chat about what it would look like for me to clean my room. In fact, I'm going to get a bunch of friends together at school and we're going to study how to clean my room. No, I even got a better one. Let's have a conference and we can get thousands of people and we can talk about how you clean your room. What's the problem with that? It's not getting done, but she is in control. She's not yielded to her father's voice, which is saying, I just need you to clean the room. And so God tells us, well, you know what? We need to be sharing our faith. But we get on there and we say, oh, wait, wait. 
I know, let's have a Bible study about how to share our faith. Well, let's get trained on how to share our faith. Oh, I may, I've gone to a seminar on how to train my faith. And then what do we do? Some of us train or share our faith, but others of us are just sitting on the chair. We don't want to give that up to God. And what God is saying, no, get off the chair. Let me be on the throne. Let me be in control. And that is what, why we come to church, to hear a word from God so that we will take what he has to say and actually apply it to our lives so we can be transformed. So my daughter has to learn to listen to the coach and do what he says. We have to learn to listen to God and do what he says. He is in control. Now, when I think of China in this area, many of our staff, their parents are dead set against them being on staff. The police, is def- they're definitely against it. And so they, re- they receive a lot of opposition to what they do. A number of our staff have police that will come to their homes every week just to visit with them, to have tea, as they call it. And really what they're trying to do is just put the pressure on so they'll stop doing what they're doing. But they've made up their mind that God is on the throne, and so I, I just got to go with wherever he's going to take me. And so if it results in persecution, that's just the way it works. If it, works, if it results in one of the policemen coming to Christ, well, that's how it works. But I need to be, allow him to be on the throne and me not on the throne. And so the second element is being self-controlled with an eternal perspective. And then the third aspect is that we need to discipline ourselves to live godly. And so if you look at the verse, it says, but I buffet my body. Now, the first time I read that, it was buffet my body. I think, wow, I'm liking this already. I can eat as much as I want, and we're in a good place. It says, I buffet my body and make it a slave. Now, the idea of buffeting his body literally means that I give myself a black eye. I'm going to be so disciplined. Oh, I'm just going to give myself a black eye to make sure I don't get disqualified. That I run the race that's set before me. There's nothing that's going to stop me. I'm going to bring my body, because it goes on, it says, I make my body a slave. Okay, that my body is going to do what I tell it to do. For the runner, is when they're feeling that just pain and they just want to stop, they push through it. They don't, they don't let that pain stop them, but they push through and they go. The problem with us as, an Amer- as Americans, and I'm guilty of this as much, is we let our bodies dictate our life. Oh, I'm a little sleepy now. I'm going to take a nap, right? Oh, I'm hungry for the fifth time today. I'm going to think I'm going to eat a little more, right? And so we have become lazy, and we have not made our bodies in submission to us. And so this is what he's saying is, look, and really the, uh, it goes on and it says, and if I have preached to others what it says in the NASB, but that word is actually to, to herald. And what he's saying there is the herald is the person who comes up and he says, okay, runners, you're going to start a meter, a meter back, or two steps back. When I say on your mark, set, you'll come up to the start line. When you hear the gun, you go. Okay, that's what the herald does. Well, the herald in this case is also not, he's, so he's saying that. Then he gets in one of the lanes and he's going to run. But when he when it goes on your mark, set, herald's off. Right? What's wrong with that? There was no gun. And so that's what he's saying here is, look, after I have heralded to others, right, I've told them what to do, well, I don't do what they do, what I tell them to do. So he's disqualified, that his testimony has disqualified him to run the race effectively. And so we want to ask ourselves, well, how, what does that look like? 
And if you look at Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, it says, uh, and the part I want us to focus on, it says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance for the, uh, and, to, and the sin that so easily entangles and with endurance let us run the race. And so we want to look at what are the, some of those things that entangle us. And so if you look up there, we have the first one, the heart is the healthy living. Some of us just want to live healthy. I'm going to get the organic, I'm going to do the exercise, but it's, it consumes us, it controls us. For some of us, it's money. Some of us say, oh, I've got no money, or I've got so much money, but we still just want more. And that's what controls us. For others, it's like, man, if I can just get good grades, I'll, get to, I'll be able to get to that school. And if I get to that school, I'll be able to do this profession. If I do this profession, then I'm going to be able to get this much money. If I get this much money, I'm going to be a happy person. That is not running the race. For some of us, it's approval. That's what hinders us from running the race. Oh, just like me, please, just like me. And so you do whatever is necessary for that person to like you. For others of us, we just want security. Man, I just want to be secure. I want to be healthy. I want to make sure my family's safe. I want to make sure everything is just going to be secure. For some of us, we just want to be comfortable. You know, so we got the nice, comfortable chairs in here. We've got a comfortable atmosphere. But at some point, you have to go from being comfortable and an observer to being uncomfortable and what? A participant. Okay? And so those are things that, and for some of us, it's just difficult relationships. Those things encumber us from being able to run the race. And so what we're supposed to do is to cast those things aside and recognize that God will deal with each of those areas. But we have to yield those to him by not being on the chair and allowing him to be on the chair. Okay, I want to share a story of Mr. Lee, and then we'll look at some applications. Mr. Lee was in one of our courses. He was a pastor, had been a pastor for 20 years, had been married for 20 years, and he took a course called Marriage and Family in Asia. Well, he was supposed to bring his wife to this course because, I mean, marriage and family, it seems like you should have both people there, right, for the course. Well, I got to there, and I was going to help do my part in the teaching, and guess what? His wife wasn't there. So I said, okay, you cannot pass this course unless your wife comes. So he said, whatever, but I still got to, so he studied and learned. He went home and he realized, oh my gosh, my marriage is messed up. So he started talking to his wife about all the things that he, that he had been learning from the scriptures and how messed up his marriage was, and she already knew that. And they began to work step by step through their marriage, and they saw their marriage restored, right? Because he was, God was on the chair. He had gotten off the chair finally in the area of marriage. And then he's like, whoa, God, you have so transformed my marriage. I want to go to the local authorities, and there's a a place where I know families who are troubled go, and I'm going to go there, and I'm going to ask if I can help. So he and his wife went down to uh, this place, and they said, you know what? Our lives have been transformed by Christ, and we want to serve in the area of bringing families back together, restoring them. And they're like, oh my gosh, we're so overwhelmed. Please come. And so they took what they had learned and they were now going to uh, share that with others who were not the same. And so that's what it looks like, though, for us to run to win. They had connected that to the gospel. It was the gospel, it was Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross through his death and his resurrection and his redemption of, of restoring that which was broken in their own life that they wanted to then offer others. And so then that finally takes us to the end.
And what is the end of any talk? No, it is not amen, but I appreciate the, the fervor. The final issue is, what are you going to do? See, the burden when I walked in here and when you sat down, all the uh, focus was God was saying, Carl, you need to be responsible to deliver what I've got. But once you've delivered it, guess what? I'm passing the, I'm passing the responsibility on to you. All right? And now I'm going to give you four ways that you can walk out of here and not be guilty, but receive reward. Right? Live today in the orange for for eternity. I'm going to give you four ways to invest. First, give. Now, I know many of you in here are very generous. But you can always be a little bit what? More generous. Okay, and so for those of you who have been giving regularly, great job. And Jay and the elders have said that you're a very generous church and to continue. For those of you who've come regularly and you're not stewarding, it's actually not your money. I don't know if you knew that. It's God's money. If you are not stewarding that money towards Grace Community, today's the day to start, right? Live the orange for the white, for eternity, right? And so I really want to encourage you to do that. There's tables all out there. When you walk out there, you walk up to somebody and say, hey, I've never done this before, but I'm going to give to you. What do I do? They're going to say, oh, no, 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 don't, don't give, right? No, that's how they get overseas. So by all means, be generous. Continue to be generous. The second thing is go. Now, for most of you, are thinking, I'm not going anywhere, except for I'm going home and have some lunch. Okay, well, the reality is you go every day of your life. You, some of you go to work. Well, guess what? That's your race course. You, you, you find people and you begin to pray for them and you begin to share Christ in that context. When I was a Navy dentist, we saw so many people come to Christ. It had nothing to do with dentistry except that was the thing that brought us together. But we just said, gosh, I don't know what to say, but I'm opening my mouth about Jesus. And then you let God do the rest. And for other of you, Bob's got opportunities galore for you to actually go on a short-term trip. So therefore, scare yourself. And go. You know, you never have to go again, but at least you'll understand, wow, that's what a short-term trip's about. And you know, when I think about missions, in my office where I, was, where I would spend a good amount of time, we had accountants, we had IT people, we had ops people, we had human resources. They're all focused on one thing, winning the race, seeing people come to Christ. And so where, whatever you do, Allow God to use that or whatever your, your joys are in life. So that's the second part is go. And then the third part is pray. We can do that anytime, anyplace. And when you honestly are praying, as you're driving, right, and as you're going by and you realize, man, that person doesn't know Christ. They're dead. They're a walking corpse. Hey, invest now for eternity. And so we can do that through prayer. And then finally, uh, sending others. Honestly, if you say, you know what, there is no way and you know where that I'm going on, you know, to whatever place, then send somebody else. Take the money that God's given you and just say, go. Be filled, be blessed, and go. Clear? Okay, I am free. The responsibility is now on your shoulders. 
And my encouragement to you is if you're on the chair, get off the chair. Live in the orange for the white, for the eternity. That's all I can say. Let me pray for us. And may you do what God puts on your heart and just enjoy the reward when you step into eternity. Let's pray. Father, you are truly amazing. I pray for each of us, including myself, that we would just be absolutely overwhelmed by who you are. And out of that, that we would want to run the race to win, however you have gifted us, that we would say, you know, I want to see as many people come to know Christ as I can. And I can't go because I'm, maybe I'm in a wheelchair, but I can give and I can pray and I can encourage and I can send others. Father, every day people are working with people or going to restaurants. I pray that they would take advantage of those times to share Christ. May we all live today in light of eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.